well, I'm finding that a lot of successful people, people that operate with purpose have these things. And so I get up early every day. I, I try to do some journaling. I try to read a piece of scripture. I make sure I take a little bit of time with my Lord. And, I, and I'm just like, dude, guide me, put me in the right space. Because yeah. especially being an entrepreneur now, um, you know, when you're in the corporate world, you've got something else guiding you, a time clock, a cubicle, you've got something. But when you're an entrepreneur, you're like, I really need to know that I'm going on the right path. Mm -hmm. I, I need some signs that this is going in the right direction, right? And so when I think about those six things that I wrote about the purpose, for me, it was more like, it wasn't like a tick box of do these six things and you're going to find success. Yeah. It was more like, focus on these six things for a while and see if you see any personal growth or see if just the, just the, the focus on it drives you to find excellence in some area of your life. If you've been looking for the perfect t-shirt line, Inspired Tees Co. has you covered. They offer a line of awesome Christian and American-themed tees for the whole family. Whether you want cool t-shirts that express who you are or want to spread awareness with shirts like their new breast cancer tee, they have something for everyone. You can also shop their Military Veterans American Tees, and with every purchase from that collection, they're going to donate 15% of the profits to the Wounded Warrior Project. Make sure to visit their website, inspiredteesco.myshopify.com. Kurt, you're a father, husband, you're an author, independent certified coach, teacher, speaker for John Maxwell team, and you're also a podcast host, so much more. Thank you for your time, man. I appreciate it. Matt, well, thanks. For, you know, as you know, you're in the game. The more that you can spread your message or, or, or your, your work, your efforts, the, the better it is. And dude, I've listened to your shows. Uh, your stuff rocks. So it's, it's awesome to be here. I appreciate that, man. I love to go back with my guests. The very first question I ask everybody is like, where did you grow up? What was childhood like for you? Ooh, well, uh, I grew up in a little town called Roslyn, Pennsylvania, which is part of Willow Grove. Um, and so near Abington. So outside of Philadelphia. Right. And so those East Coast towns, right, you just keep throwing names and names and names and, until you figure out where you hit a region where somebody knows about it. Right. But um, <laughs> Roslyn's this tiny little place, um, not a place of great means. Uh, it's a place of sweat equity, uh, lots of blue collar types. And then Willow Grove Park used to be the biggest amusement park in the country until it shut down and became Willow Grove Park Mall. And now my understanding since I've left is I don't even think that exists anymore. Right. So. Oh, wow. Um, but what a cool place, uh, you know, 10 miles from downtown Philadelphia. I used to ride my bicycle when I was 12 through the city, uh, culture and intermingling with other people never affected me as a kid. Hmm. And it would freak people out because I would hop on my bicycle and I would ride right to the worst parts of central Philadelphia. And I'd see some dude cooking outside on a 55, you know, gallon container. And I'd be like, excuse me, sir, are you selling those? And I'm like 12 years old. He's like, well, you want a hot link boy? And I'm like, yeah, I'll take a hot link boom, you know, give me a buck. And there I am sitting on the curb eating and just enjoying culture and, and everything that that city had to offer. It was amazing. There was, you know, the black part of town, the Italian part of town. And, and then I went to Catholic school there. So, so okay. it was an interesting circle. And I think I was, while I was doing some research on you, you in, while in high school, did you get cancer? And obviously you're changing lives now, but did you, you have cancer at a pretty early age, right? I did. I did. Yeah. So, um, and that's why I do things like, uh, you know, I do these, these charity bicycle rides now. Yeah. It's almost like survivor's guilt. My fight with cancer was almost over before it really began. Um, I got really sick. 
had problems with weight and sleep. At one point I was sleeping almost 21, 22 hours a day as a teenager. Wow. And um, we knew something was definitely wrong. Sure. Um, I, my mom worked nights. And so she would come into my bedroom and she would look for me. I was under the bed and she thought I went to school, but I was really sleeping under my bed the whole day. Um, it was bad. It, and so we, we went and got checked out. They found a little bump on my thyroid and they said, well, we just need to take this, this off. You know, you're, you've got a hypothyroid situation, hypothyroid situation. So we need to take that off. And, and I did the research and I said, I'm pretty sure this is going to be cancer. We should probably do a needle biopsy. You know, and I'm trying to get involved in the conversation. Yeah. And they said, no, 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 man, shut up, kid. That, that for you, your age, no one your age has ever had that type of cancer. Um, it would be in the books. It never happened. Uh, you know, we're just going to do the surgery and you'll be fine. And my mom was a nurse at that hospital. We took them at their word and they opened me up on the table and went, uh oh, right. And so what was supposed to be a little incision ended up being railroad tracks all the way across from one ear to the other, oh basically gosh. gutted me open, took half my thyroid out, did a bunch of tests, found out it was cancer. And then I had so much distrust of the medical field after that experience that I didn't they wanted to go back and do a follow-up surgery. I said, no, they wanted to sample some different medicines. I said, no, um, you know, it sounds weird for a 16 year old to be that independent, but sure. I didn't have a father. I kind of raised myself and I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing this. I'm going to be a contrarian. I, you have already proven you don't know what you're doing. So, so we're going to do this on our own. And I'm really glad that that's the decision I made. Wow, man, how scary. And I mean, so smart on your end to, to do that research. And then I, I don't blame you for, you know, not having that trust in the medical, but I still, I don't have trust in a lot of those folks either sometimes, you know, you know but yeah. gosh, what a, what a time in your life, man. And then on top of that, you're going to this Catholic school, you got this leader in the school telling you like, you're not going to amount to anything in the world. And at the time yeah. you kind of mentioned like that, what didn't really affect you. You're kind of like, yeah, if you guy, right. But now looking back, like how long did it take you to get through that, that comment? Cause that's a really deep comment. You know, I, I cover this in depth when I do like public speaking for, for young groups, you know, especially like um, college age groups, I'll have discussions with them about growth and impedance, you know, impedance to growth and stuff. But yeah, literally my last day of school at Bishop McDevitt high school, um, Mr. Acoff calls me into the office and he says, hey, you're behind on your tuition. Uh, we're going to let you go. And I was like, well, that's really weird because I've been working full time and helping my mom with bills and this, that and the other. It's a Catholic organization. You know, I know that you're bussing in um, racially challenged people for free. Right. So you're giving them free transportation, free tuition. You know, can't you? black here because you know xyz sure and he goes not nah, and it's your attitude too and to be honest with you a kid like you is never going to amount to anything in this world we're done here wow and i was like what and I, and people don't understand that conversation they go that would never happen and i'm like this was 1985 this happened sure. all the time in 1985 yeah they didn't yeah. care if your parents were in the room or any of these things right yeah so it's just me and him in the room there's no other adults and he says a kid like you is never going to amount to anything in this world we're done here and I was like, well, F you, bro, and I'm out, right? And I thought it didn't impact me then, but I look at it and I go, you know, I, I did everything I could to prove that guy right for a decade. Mm -hmm. You know, I self-sabotaged myself at almost every opportunity along the way, whether it was relationships with real friends, uh, relationships with females, tips uh, and employment. Uh, I'm one of those guys, I'm, a, I'm an A-type personality, I'm driven, I would go in and I would just kick ass at all these jobs and I'd get to the top of the performance area, right? And it was like this chip on my shoulder 
where culturally I just couldn't get myself to fit in with the team, mm. you know? And then there was this culture clash for me personally, like this chip on my shoulder. I'm never going to be anything in this world. Look at me. I'm, I'm proving everybody wrong. Right. But that attitude led to failure at almost every turn, you know? And, and it wasn't until I was in my thirties that I had my act together and I got remarried, you know, I'm married and divorced. I got another failed relationship with, with some other outcomes. And, and now I've got this great wife, two kids. We live in Cal, you know, California. I've done the John Maxwell ship leadership stuff, been self-invested. Right. And you realize like, holy crud, I wasted 10, 15 years of my life trying to prove that moron wrong. And what was he? He was a disciplinarian at a high school. It wasn't like he had a great stretch in his life, right? Right. Yeah. So, so, so it's 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 weird how people can affect you. It, it's one statement can last a long time. Oh, so much. So, man, I can't believe that. Now, I mean, be, speaking of John Maxwell, I have this quote on my vision wall. I took a, a wall in my office and I converted it to a, literally a vision wall uh, instead of a vision board. And I have pictures of my family and my goals and quotes. And one of the quotes I have on there is from John Maxwell. And it's, you know, the greatest mistake we make is living in constant fear that we will make one. Like, yeah. what does that quote mean for you, man? I'd say I've embraced it, to be honest yeah. with you, Eric. I mean, um, he has a book called Failing Forward, right? Yeah. And it's, yeah. and it's, it, it encompasses that, that quote, but in long form, right? And it's, if you're afraid that you're going to fail at something, if you're afraid that someone's going to look at you and go, ah, loser, right? Um, you'll never try, you'll never accomplish, yeah. you know? And I noticed when I'm mountain biking with a group of people, and I, and I got a weird way of associating things, so bear with me here, but I'll, I'll be going through like Chino Hill State Park out here in Southern California, and me and my group, and I'm a big fella, I'm still big, I, I'm at my desired weight, but I'm still big, and for okay. mountain bikers, I'm a big dude, Sure. And, and I'm fighting, I get up the hills, we're doing the downhill, we're having a blast, and you can see people coming in the trail as we're leaving the trail, right, and, and it's just a real simple entry, not hard at all, but people are jumping off their bikes and pushing and they're huffing and puffing and sweating. And there's a lot of fat people trying to figure out what this fitness actually looked like for them. Right. Yeah. And when we come to the next rest area in the parking lot, before we load up the trucks, somebody in the group's going to say something. They're going to say, Oh, you see that fat bastard trying to come up the hill. That was hilarious. You know? And, and I'm going, you know what? God bless them you know, kudos to them to get off the sofa and at least try. So what if they failed today? If they try again next week, they're going to get another 150 yards up the trail. They're going to get another quarter mile up the trail. Next thing you know, they're going to be like me three years ago when I couldn't get up the trail, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. next thing you know, they're going to be doing 20 mile bike rides in this park. It's, I, I'm all about be prepared to fail. If you don't fail, you haven't tried hard enough. Yeah. Oh. When I used to, I used to road race motorcycles and it was right. and one of the things that people say when you road race motorcycles, um, if you've had a race bike and it has clean paint on it for like more than a season, someone will say, Hey man, your bike still looks pretty good. And you'll be like, Oh yeah, man, I, you know, I try and take care of it. It's like, no, you don't push hard enough. Cause if you push hard <laughs> enough, you would have fallen down by now. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, um, that's there'd, so be some, there'd be some evidence on this machine that, 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 you know, you're going to give it, give it some effort. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, one of the blog posts that I saw on your website, though, from earlier this year was you, you talk about six ways to live your life with purpose. And I love those six ways there. Uh, what are those ways for people that haven't seen that? And why are those six so important? See, now you're going to try and get me to remember everything that I okay. post because I'm a content <laughs> hound. Um, just, just so you know, I post content on a near daily basis. So yeah. there's, there's stuff everywhere. But this whole living your life with purpose thing. And I've been really focused on this for the last 
well, before COVID, right. Um, if you're not driven, if you don't see obstacles, I mean, if you don't see opportunities within the obstacles, if you can't see the silver lining on the cloud, if you can't get yourself up at a reasonable hour in the morning and accomplish something. In fact, I'm going to throw it back at you. Yeah. Um, I was listening to your podcast and, and you were all talking about um, having a morning routine and waking up early. And uh, you were talking about getting into scripture, praying, reading the word, right? Mm -hmm. um, these are the things that that drive me as well. I'm finding that a lot of successful people, people that operate with purpose, have these things. And so I get up early every day. I, I try to do some journaling. I try to read a piece of scripture. I make sure I take a little bit of time with my Lord. And, I, and I'm just like, dude, guide me, put me in the right space. Because yeah. especially being an entrepreneur now, um, you know, when you're in the corporate world, you've got something else guiding you, a time clock, a cubicle, you've got something. But when you're an entrepreneur, you're like, I really need to know that I'm going on the right path. Mm -hmm. I, I need some signs that this is going in the right direction. Right. And so when I think about those six things that I wrote about the purpose, for me, it was more like, it wasn't like a tick box of do these six things and you're going to find success. Yeah. It was more like, focus on these six things for a while and see if you see any personal growth or see if just the just the the focus on it drives you to find excellence in some area of your life and for me it's i'm in my 50s now and it's like everything blends together and it all makes sense to me yeah. but i've had friends tell me dude when someone is like you and you have all these different ideas you get noted you're called eccentric right and when you're poor, you're called crazy. So I'm still in the crazy category, right? <laughs> Oprah is eccentric. Kurt is crazy. So you've got all these things. So I'll say focus on all these, these things. And I'm thinking mental health, physical health, business health, you know, time guidelines with your family. All these things are, are, is what I'm thinking about. But I have to recognize that my audience might only be thinking about that next weight loss journey or that next promotion at work yeah. or finishing the first chapter of the book they meant to write that they haven't started in 10 years. And so, dude, there's been all kinds of people I've coached that have started mm -hmm. writing books or that have started a racing career or that have launched a business. And it's really cool to see how when you take those six things of purpose-driven life and you go, well, I think I just stole somebody's uh, title to a book there. But when you take those <laughs> six purposes of a driven life and you lay that on any situation, it seems to get forward motion. Yes. Yes. Oh, man. Hey, guys, this episode is sponsored by Tranquil Turtle Massage. Tracy over there, the founder, she's a small town girl from Montana, loves God, loves her family, loves her friends, loves working out, fishing and camping. She has a passion for helping those in need and enjoys being creative with woodworking, crocheting, healthy baking, pottery and cooking. Look, she began her massage journey back in 2010, where she graduated from massage school up in Anchorage, Alaska. She specializes in her signature massages, the Hanu Infusion and the Hanu Ashiatsu, as well as the Gua Sha and Manual Lymphatic Drainage. If you're looking for a massage specialist and someone who could get you feeling good, go see Tracy down at Tranquil Turtle Massage. And while you're there, check out CDA Microblading, offering Coeur best tattoo brows, plasma fibroblast, tightening, and PMU services right there in the heart of downtown Coeur Make sure you book your appointment at pnwmobilemassage.com. Now, you also have this, uh, I think you, you are the founder of the Power Sport Academy, which is designed for service counter staff, service managers at dealerships and things like that. For those who don't know, what is Power Sport Academy and how did all this come together? 
Well, dude, you are touching on a labor of love right here. And, and this, <laughs> this, this could be a, a five hour seminar, but right. um, I've got over 20 years of dealer experience, primarily on the service side. I've done some sales, but mostly service mm. and, you know, automotive, I've done aviation, power sports, a little bit of Marine. Um, and so I've got this, this really good understanding of how a dealership operates, the different personality styles that are involved, the communication, the, the, the way that the, a lot of guys can't answer the phone. Um, think about it from a customer standpoint. When, when's the last time your car was broke or your motorcycle broke down or something, and you enjoyed calling the service department to make an appointment, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. These guys don't, they've never been taught. They're not stupid. I got to be really, really clear. Dealership yeah. personnel are some of the smartest, hardest working people out there but they've never been invested in. They haven't had formal training with communication or relationship building or leadership, right? And so the positions they hold are generally by default because they've worked around motorcycles before. Now, I was able to write a book about working at dealerships, right? So I wrote a book called Service Writing in Black and White. Yep. That book got the attention of Ducati North America, Ducati, the, the motorcycle brand. Right. So in the early 2000s, they asked me, write them a course. So I wrote them a course. And then they said, well, could you teach the course? Yes. Well, we don't have anyone to host the events. Could you host the events? Sure. I could do that. So next thing you know, as an entrepreneur, Ducati North America becomes my number one client, like overnight. Wow. And I was teaching these two day workshops in Las Vegas to the dealerships that wanted to participate. And the, and so what this was, was 20 years of dealership experience compressed into a two day workshop that was really meant to teach them communication skills, some leadership, and to talk about efficiencies and productivity and running a service department. Mm. I thought it wasn't gonna be enough. Like I thought you only gave me two days, it's not gonna be enough. Well, the dealerships that participated, they increased their parts and labor sales by an average of 47%. Wow. So we knew we had something. Yeah. Um, after a few years of that, Ducati brought me on full-time and I ran their training department for four years. And then I made myself available for recruitment and Suzuki picked me up and I worked with Suzuki for almost four years. And Suzuki was a great experience because while I left the culture and the passion of Ducati, which I still love, um, I did get to experience what it's like to run a team instead of be a solo effort in a corporation. Mm -hmm. So I had graphic designers and, and publicists and all these things, you know, that I could use to, to work at a higher rate. Right. But when I left Suzuki, I thought, well, now what am I going to do? So I did some work for Indian for, for uh, tr uh, Triumph. I did a sample for BRP. I wrote a sample for, and then about a half a year later, BRP picked me up for a, a short run to work with some of their dealers in the same area. And here's what I've learned. I've learned that all of the OEMs want to train the dealers from their perspective. Th their main focus is they sell units. They're distributors. So in America, they're not manufacturers. In America, they're distributors. They sell widgets. They don't care if they're selling yo-yos, you know, bottles of vitamins or, or what. They're selling widgets. And they right. want me to make training for dealers that helps them sell more widgets. Um, I decided to take two decades of dealership work, a decade of OEM work, and go, I'm going to make dealer direct, dealer-centered training to make them more financially independent. And the stronger they are financially, the better they can do it at edifying the brands they choose to represent. Mm -hmm. So instead of working for the manufacturers, they're working with the manufacturers. And 
I set up a program that's blended learning. So instead of being a two day or a three day seminar, it ends up being a year's subscription of me working with their staff and building them into the team that they have the potential to be. So yeah. a lot of shops are seeing an increase of like $600,000, $800,000 in extra parts and labor sales. And these are medium sized businesses with like three or four technicians and two service writers. Wow. So, um, dude, it, it's, we're doing this now and it's exciting now because it's taking a long time for this to pick up speed. Right. I, I thought I'm Kurt Von on and I'm going to put this out there and everybody's going to sign up. And that's not what happened. I actually had to put work in and try and like do a proof of concept and convince right. people to do it. And now we've got a few, you know, a handful of dealers that have experienced really good success. And now we've got a couple of kind of, I call them power partners that sure. are coming in to help us kind of support the, the growth and promote it. And so I think the five-year plan for the Power Sport Academy is going to be pretty incredible. And, and from a customer standpoint, dude, COVID drove people to the dealerships, the social distancing, the being outside, you know, restaurants and, and museums being closed. Families were like, we want to get out. And right. so everybody went mountain bike shopping, road bike shopping, and motorcycle shopping. <laughs> and the supply chain is still broken. So what that's going to do is it's going to put a lot more focus on the service departments to maintain what's already in the market rather than filling the market with new product. And so I'm really in a hard push right now to get dealers to go, man, it makes sense. I got to train my people. It might cost me 10 grand to train my store, but if I spend 10 grand and I make 600 grand in extra parts and labor sales, it's definitely got a return on investment. Right. And the culture's better, the communication's better, you know, the, the employee turnover is reduced. I mean, there's so many other side benefits to training your people and investing in them, but for a dealer and, and where they're at mentally, you know, for them, it's like, if I spend 10 grand, what am I going to get? Well, for one, you get a 30 day money back guarantee. And, and for the next, you know, you know that you're going to increase parts and labor sales by half a million dollars or more. So let's just go for it. Right. What is that biggest struggle that you see when dealerships come to you and they're like, hey, I need help with this? Like, what's that this that most people come to you with? The biggest this, and, it, and it's contrarian, it, it, it's not what you think it's going to be. Mm. These dealers, the owners, and again, not stupid people, not right. stupid people. Right. Somehow they've come up with millions of dollars to launch this business, right? So they've, they've got something working. Yeah. But they'll come to me and they'll say, Hey, I understand that you do this, but the truth is we're just so busy right now. I don't know that I could take my guys away from their work to do the training. And then I go, well, let's just take a look at some of your numbers. Well, you know, if you, if your guys are going home at three o'clock in the afternoon, because everything's on parts hold, it's because your dispatch process is screwed up and, and you're not able to get the work done. I call it the service sales funnel. If you don't do the work in the right order, you, you run out of, you run out of assets to finish the jobs. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing is I, I take a look at their, I got, well, what's your productivity? What's your, what's your efficiency? If your shop is running at 52 or 53% efficiency, it means you think you're busy, but you're not busy. You're working hard, but you're not working smart. And so if you let me train your people for 30, 60, 90 days, we can take another look at those numbers and we can go, okay, so now instead of being busy at 53% efficiency, you can be still busy, but at 68, 70% efficiency, right? And that might not sound like a big jump, but when you're talking in terms of hundreds of thousands of dollars of, of revenue, those percentage points equal a lot. Yeah. And then when, when they finish up a year, 
it's really interesting to see what happens to a shop after a year when the culture starts to shift and people start to appreciate the training. And, and what happens is they start to, they get on, I do live support calls with the guys every month. So when they come on and I give them their homework and we, and we discuss the status of their store for the month, as, as the process goes on, there's more and more buy-in as opposed to less and less because mm -hmm. they're seeing the gains. And a lot of these guys are paid on commission. So they've all gotten a raise through the training process. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. Cause I, I mean, I've been to dealerships before and I worked in the college dealership right out of high school. I sold cars really bad at it, but uh, you know, those parts and service guys, man, they're like you said, super smart, amazing people, but the communication skill not is, is not always there. So I love that you go in there and you help them out with that. I always love talking with other podcasters like yourself and your podcast is called Minata No Moss. Did I say that right? You did. You did. Yeah. Nice. I'm the whitest guy with the, with the craziest Hispanic <laughs> name. Right. I love it, dude. I mean, you've had awesome people on your show, like Stacy Rasky, who I've heard on a couple other shows. She's amazing. Total badass. Uh, like, why did you decide to start your podcast and who's your podcast for? So Southern California traffic, right? Yeah. I, I, it was three, three and a half years ago. I thought, well, I'm sitting in traffic on my way to the office every day. I got to do something more productive than just sit here. So I put the phone on the dash, hooked up anchor and just started talking one day. And, you know, I'll be the first to tell you, you know, as a podcaster, I didn't think of myself as a podcaster. I was like, I'm just putting stuff out there to see if people like it or not. Yeah. Well, then people started to listen. And then anchors like, hey, do you want to do ads? You've got enough listeners for ads. And I'm going, oh, OK. And so then I thought, man, I really need to I need to up the game, man. I need to start putting like Zoom videos and interviews and put things together so that I could do like, you know, you can see the video version or the audio version. And my first interview was Andrew S. Oaks, who's a stress coach. And um, man, Andrew knocked it out of the park for me for a first interview, you know? And nice. I just thought, well, this was pretty good. And now, so the post-edit quality is not so great, but but the content's there. And, um, and I was like, this is awesome. And so what occurred to me through podcasting was, a, I really don't know who's listening. And part of me doesn't even really care. Yeah. Um, when I have people on, I want to focus on them. I want to promote their story, their stuff. And what I'm looking for is um, people that have overcome things, uh, you know, weight loss, business obstacles, life obstacles, you know, cancer recovery, um, people with leadership skills, people that uh, want to talk about entrepreneurship, right? Um, these things, I think that there's a common thread for people that are driven to find success that attracts listeners. Yeah. And then periodically I'll do a value add piece that's solo. Like I did a book review, um, the five levels of leadership with John Maxwell. Right. And so I took those audios and I added those as solo episodes so that I get to review the book with my listeners. Nice. Here's the weird thing, Eric. Like I said, you don't know who's listening. You really don't. And yeah. so BRP sent me to a dealership and I'm not going to call the dealership out by name. But um, <laughs> they, the BRP told me, these guys, they're a hard nut to crack. They don't even want you there training them. They're resistant to the program, but they're on the list and we got to get it done. And so I go in and I'm, I'm meeting with the general manager and then a conference call comes in and it's the owner of the store. And, and uh, he, he goes, oh, hey, is that guy from BRP there? And, oh yeah, he's on speaker with me right now, you know? And then he go, goes, oh, uh, his name's Kurt. Yeah, Kurt, yeah. what's his last name? And the, the guy goes, Von Onen. And he goes, the manana no mas guy now i'm in shock because i'm going right. on what and, and then he goes man i've been listening to his podcast for three years that guy's a genius anything he wants to do in the shop we'll write the check don't worry about it and so 
you know, I leave the dealership and I call my boss at BRP and he goes, man, I know that was a rough one. How did it go? And I'm like, they already agreed to do everything. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah I, I guess I'm a genius, Come but uh, it, it's, it's, it's paid off in so many ways that, that yeah. um, I've met great people. I've associated, I'm meeting you. Um, and like I said, you have no idea who's listening or what the benefit is down the road. Yeah. I'm the same way, man. I selfishly like started podcasts because I just wanted to connect with awesome people. I'm like, man, I got to share these stories with everybody else. So I started, you know, putting it out there. I didn't even do audio versions of my show for probably a first year. I was just uploading to YouTube. I didn't even know about the audio podcast world or anything like that. So yeah, I love connecting with other folks. How can folks get in touch with you? Where, where do you prefer them to, to connect with you? And how can they, you know, hire you to speak and, and come on and can join them or, or you know, join your power, uh, power sport Academy there. Yeah. At the risk of sounding like a, a commercial. Um, if you look up manana nomas on the internet, uh, you're going to see five pages of Kurt Von Onen as nice. a Google search. Uh, I had a customer that was all worried about search engine optimization. You know, she, she, she types in manana nomas and she goes, Oh my goodness. <laughs> She's right. like, you're doing something right. So, uh, I love when people come through the website, if they come mm. through the manana nomas.com website and and they send me a contact link through there or they join the newsletter list or, or any of those things or yeah, i've got a whole academy in there of personal development and leadership and some things are free some things are paid but it's if they just get in and get involved and participate dude you know that's the best right yep. Yep. when someone's going to participate and be active that's the best you know you signed up on my youtube channel and i was thrilled because i think i've only got like 52 followers or subscribers on youtube so uh it would be awesome to have people join the the youtube right because as you know the more people you get the more privileges youtube will give you totally so so there's that um but man manana nomas or kurt von Onen, and you will find me online um kurt at manana nomas is the email i can't believe i said that out loud because now every spammer in the world's going to hit it but um <laughs> i can block it out <laughs> but you know kurt at manyananomas.com is the email hit me up on the website and then i'm i'm available for it's so weird people want to pigeonhole you and say well what are you are you a speaker are you a web designer are you a power sports trainer are you a writer are you an author are you a podcaster it's like dude i'm in my 50s I've got a wealth of experience. And un unfortunately for me, all of these things seem to be skills that have risen to a certain level. So uh, I'm a WordPress expert. I work in uh, membership and learning websites. I build those for other small companies, kind of like what the PowerSport Academy is built on. Yeah. And that's a great way to fill the calendar if I'm not working actively with dealerships and PowerSport Academy. I try to explain to people that Manana Nomas is the umbrella. It's the big company. So mm -hmm. it's, it's the thing that allows me to work with a network of people for speaking engagements and, and web development and all these things. And then Power Sport Academy, and I have a project called the Challenge Connection. Those are my two biggest projects that are underneath the Manana Nomas umbrella. Gotcha. Yeah. I'd love to finish the show with one fun question. I know we're right at time, but I'm a big music guy. So I'd love to ask the question, like, what's the favorite type of music for you? Or do you have a favorite band that you like to listen to? dude <laughs> uh music wise i'm out there i'm i'm out there a lot okay. um i fell in love with smooth jazz working at a liquor store in an all-black neighborhood the owner played jazz and played bb and cc winans and all that stuff yeah full volume in the morning before we open and i got hooked okay uh, in fact i can thank richard elliott for the birth of my son nine months later okay so um <laughs> so awesome. uh so there's a lot about smooth jazz i like yeah uh, there's a new performer I don't know how new he is, but he hit up on TikTok 
Teddy Swims. Have you heard anything from Teddy Swims? Yes. Yeah, totally. He is, you look at him saying, and you're like, that voice is not coming out of that man. Right. Totally. Yeah. And, I, and, and I've really, really enjoyed him lately. Um, but if I'm bicycling, it's Daft Punk. Okay. Yeah. Because it, it keeps the pedals moving in the right pace. Totally. <laughs> right. So, so yeah, I'm all over the place and, you know, I've been to Slayer concerts and I, and I've done all the, all the heavy metal and all that stuff from the eighties and nineties. But, but nowadays I think it's, it's either going to be EDM or jazz and it keeps my brain moving for all the stuff that I do. Yes. How about you? What do you listen to? You know, that's a great question. I, I used to be like a straight metalhead, Corn, Rob Zombie, you know, Tool, Rage Against Machine back in the early days. And, and I, I think I worked for Universal Records for a year, so it kind of forced me to open up my, my genre because yeah. I was working with different artists and things like that. Uh, so I do, I listen to a lot of rock. Uh, I'm really into uh, NF right now, who's a rapper, and I like hip hop, Black Eyed Peas, things like that. And then, you know, some bands like Slaves is probably one of my favorite bands right now. And, and Mass Sky Raid, which is a band out of Australia, which I came across. So I'm kind of all over the place, but I kind of go back to my my rock, hip hop and rap is kind of my my forte there. Nice. Yeah. Dude, Limp Biscuit came on the other day and I and I knew all the words and I was yeah. screaming my head off. And my 16 year old daughter was like, Dad, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So it's good, like I, w- I wasn't always this guy, sweetheart. I used to have hair. <laughs> yeah. I saw Lip Biscuit in 1998 uh, with they they played at a high school auditorium and they opened up for Kid Rock and Stained was on their first U.S. tour with Lip Biscuit. They let Stained come on the stage. They had five songs to play and they played it yep. all in the dark. They didn't even turn the lights on for Stained. It was it was like, dude, you have five of your heaviest songs to go out and play. And they walked out and I was like, that band's amazing. You know, now we look at Aaron Lewis now and I mean the guy's amazing yeah. and super talented. But uh, yeah, I, Stained Biscuit, is amazing. Yeah right? Yeah, they are so good, man. Kurt, such an honor to have you on my show. You're an absolute world changer, man. Thank you for what you do. I love what you've got going on with Power Sport Academy. And man, you are absolutely killing it out there. Keep doing your thing, man. Thank you so much for the time. It's truly an honor. Dude, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Hey, what's going on? Thank you so much for watching the show. I really appreciate it. Hey, I just wanted to do a quick introduction. If you've not seen my show or you don't know the services that I offer, I wanted to drop them to you right now. One, I do voiceover work. So if you're looking for a voiceover person to cover your motivational videos, or maybe it's Kickstarter videos or whatever it is, let me know. I'm more than happy to help you out there. I also work with brands on brand and product videos. So they'll send me their products to do reviews or box openings. Let me know. I'd love to work with you on your product as well and hope you get that product out there. I also love to be able to share my story. So if I can make an impact on one person at your next speaking engagement, let me know. I love to talk about my story. I love to talk about how our past does not define our future and morning routines and being consistent, how to be around those successful people that are just going to lift you up. Let's chat about having me speak at your next event. Let's make it happen. Again, thank you so much for checking out this show. Check out ericallenmedia.com. Really appreciate your time. Have an awesome day.